All right, Romans chapter 2, 1 to 16. I'll remind you probably every week until we get done with this that Romans is a letter written to the church at Rome. It's meant to be read all at once. Like you wouldn't just read a piece of a letter and put it down and come back to it a week later and read another piece and put it down and come back to it a week later, which is kind of how we're preaching it. But you need to read it in the whole to understand it holistically. You'll see why kind of today, because if you just read the section for today, you might be a little bit confused about the whole. But you need to read it all together. And that's why we've put together a reading plan. You can get it on the website. You can get it out here in uh, the Next Steps uh, room. But you need to be reading the book of Romans behind the scenes on your own so you have this sort of holistic understanding Uh, So last week, we went through this passage, uh, the end of Romans chapter 1, 18 to 32, and it was really this this big uh, sort of reveal about God's uh, wrath in the present time. And you you might remember if you were there, or you could go back and read it later, it, it keeps saying, you know, God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them up. And he, he gave them up to follow the course of sin in their life because they rejected him as the creator. And that's where we, uh, we left off last week. And this week we pick up just with the, the, the next section, the, the section that flows right out of here's all the ways that we can see God gave up a people to their own sin and how it manifests in a culture We come right to this now, Romans chapter 1, 1 to 16. So I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able. If you're our guest, we say this phrase, uh, the very words at the end of the main text reading, uh, just to distinguish God's word from my own. So here's what it says. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourselves because You, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those by patience and well-doing, who by patience and in well-doing seek for the glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury." There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good for the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. 
They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. You can be seated. Have you ever felt judged by someone? Anyone? Come on. Have you ever felt judged by a religious person? How did that feel? Believe it or not, I get judged by religious people all the time. I know how that feels. It's hard. It's difficult. Uh, Psychologists tell us we project judgments on others about things we actually do ourselves and feel shame about often. Did you hear that? I just want to say it one more time. So psychologists, I'm not saying the Bible, I'm saying psychologists say we often project judgment on others about things that we do ourselves or that we feel shame about. Now, it's interesting in light of that to read this passage of Scripture because this passage of Scripture, this next part of the letter, really is a passage that is saying to us, if you thought Romans 1, 18 to 32, if you were there and like, yes, they should fast, feel the present wrath of God, if that was you, then here's the next part. There is judgment for all according to the scripture. And that's what Paul is saying. He, it's attached to that last part of the letter that, you know, it says that, that uh, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of, of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And, and because of that, God gave them up to their dishonorable passions and their lust and a debased mindset. And if, we, if you heard all that and you were like, you're right, that is exactly what happened, and I'm so glad I'm not them. Paul continues. Now, in context, this, this section of the letter, it seems like he is focusing now on the Jewish hearer of the letter. And you have to understand that in the context of the church at Rome and in every one of these Asia Minor churches, there are Jewish people, Jewish background believers who have come into this church. They seem more Jewish, way more Jewish than you and I do as Christians. They're, they've got the, the genealogy. They're still dressing Jewish for the most part. They're holding on to the law uh, for the most part, but they're in the church having followed Jesus as Messiah. And so there's a tendency for these Jewish people in the church to say that all of that Romans 1, 18 to 32, claiming to be wise, they became fools. They gave them up to the, the lust. He gave them up to the lust of their heart and a debased mindset and all that kind of stuff. That's for the Gentiles. How many of you are a Gentile? Most of you, yeah. It just means the nations, the, 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 the people who aren't Jewish that have now come to, to faith in Jesus in this particular church. That's for them. So here's what Paul says, and I just want to make a couple of observations so that we understand it, I think, because it applies to us uh, in these days. So the first observation I would make comes from Romans chapter 2, 1 to 4. It would just be be careful about issuing self-righteous judgment that condemns. 
Be careful about issuing self-righteous judgment that condemns. Let's, let's go back to it, Romans chapter 2, 1 to 4. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself. Because the ju- you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man or woman, you who judge, who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches and of, of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Right? So he's saying like, hey, before you... Uh, before you judge, understand that uh, that kind of self-righteous judgment that leads to condemnation, uh, that also comes back around. Now, you're probably asking yourself the question, but shouldn't we judge? Shouldn't we judge? Uh, this is a confusing issue in our culture and our, our, our language. So let me try to d- differentiate the kind of judgment that Paul is talking about here And the answer to the question, should you judge? Paul is talking about a judgment that is self-righteous, not acknowledging your own sin and condemning the other person, right? It's like you're becoming God to say that that person is condemned. There is a judgment, we use this word in the English language for judgment, that is evaluating right and wrong. This is different, so a lot of times in our culture, when I might, maybe I'm sitting with somebody and we're talking about some things and they've got something, things pouring out of their life and I'm evaluating right and wrong in their life in that context, sometimes they will, they will say, don't judge me. I'm not judging you to condemn, I'm evaluating right and wrong. That's different. Paul is talking about a judgment that is, that is like blind to your own sin and condemning the other. And this is what he's saying, be careful about issuing a self-righteous judgment that condemns. We can judge right and wrong. We should parse right from wrong, but it's only God who brings the judgment of condemnation. It's only he uh, that can do that. You have to get in the Jewish mindset. It must have been a crazy day. So you take some, some Jewish people who have now followed Christ and some Gentile people from, Rome, from a Roman background and you mesh them all in a church. And they come together united in Christ, but then they got to parse out all the, the things, right? Like, can, can, can he do that? Can he dress like that? Can, can she um, dress like that? You know, they got to parse out all the like, woo, that comes with, with stuff. And uh, I think Paul is, is saying like, it's easy for, for you, the Jewish mindset person that comes from this background where uh, a temptation toward homosexuality would be an abomination in the Torah. Or this lust of the heart, all these things that pour from it would be an abomination in the Torah. It's easy for you to point and say, that is an abomination. You're, it's, you should receive the present tense of God. And Paul was saying, you, you who judge struggle with these same things yourself, just quietly, hidden. 
underneath because you're religious, because you know the law, you hide it. See, And this is the problem with, uh, with judging to condemn. I, I think as Christians, yes, we parse right from wrong. We have to differentiate right from wrong. How many of you know in this culture, if you and I cannot differentiate right from wrong according to a biblical world view, we are in serious trouble in our personal lives, in our family lives, in the next generation. We have to parse right from wrong. But we have received grace from Jesus in the right and wrong in our life. And because of that, when someone also is struggling with the wrong, we lead with truth in love, grace. Be careful about issuing self-righteous judgment that condemns. Both Paul and Jesus talk about this. I've already read what Paul said. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, 1 to 5. He says, judge not that you, you be not judged. For with judgment you pronounce you, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. But this is the the kind of judging that both both Jesus and Paul refer to. It's not a sane appraisal of character based on conduct and right from wrong. It's a hypocritical and self-righteous condemnation of the other that is damning to them. Yes, we can evaluate morality and determine right from wrong. We do not pass the judgment of a legal sentence on a person's life. That's not our role. That's not our job. The only one that can do that is the risen son of God. So be careful about issuing self-righteous judgment. One other thing here in this this particular section that that I, I think we should pay attention to is that Paul highlights, don't think we who judge and at the same time practice these things will escape the judgment of God. There is this thing in American Christianity, where we think we can judge that and hide sin, and we're just going to, we're not going to face judgment for this. We've got grace. And so we do it over and over and over again. We keep hiding it, and we keep judging. We keep hiding it, and we keep I can't believe that that's happening, that those people are doing these things. We keep hiding it, and we keep judging. Paul's saying, like, this is a problem. You can't do that. Don't think that you will escape the judgment of God. He even goes so far as to say, sometimes we mistake the long suffering of God in bringing the final judgment as a pass. Like, he's let me get away with it this far, this long. It's kind of a pass. It must be a grace pass. And Paul is just saying there is an end times judgment that is coming and no one gets a pass. No one gets a pass. Now, this brings me to my second observation. When God's judgment comes, it will be absolutely impartial. He doesn't play favorites. It will be absolutely impartial. And we see this in Romans chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Let's just go there and look at it one more time. Beginning in verse 5, 
it says, but because of your hard and impenitent, impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of judgment. So I just want to remind you, he's writing this to the church. You're storing up for, your, for yourself wrath on the day of judgment when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So last week in Romans 1, 18 to 32, we were talking about a present tense judgment, how we see the judgment of God in our present day. Now Paul is saying to these Jewish hearers in the church, you're storing up for yourself wrath on that final day, that future tense, that eschatological judgment that is coming at the end of all things. So continue again, pick up in in Romans chapter uh, six. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for the glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. And it doesn't matter, it goes on to say for the Jew first and then the Greek, there's no partiality. Verse 11, for God shows no partiality. So when God's judgment comes, in the end, with this final judgment, this end times wrath is poured out, uh, it, it, there is no partiality. And he, here we get the basic principle of God's judgment. I want you to hold on because remember I told you like we're reading a section of a letter. You have to read the whole, to understand the whole, but listen to this section and then let me explain the whole. The, the principle of divine judgment is this. God will give to each person according to what he or she has done. Hold on to that. God will give to each person according to what that person has done. Now listen to these scriptures, Proverbs 24, verse 12. If you say, behold, we did, did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work or his deeds? Matthew 16, 27. <clears throat> For the son of man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done, right? So this is the basic principle of God's judgment. He judges our deeds. We see it over and over and over in scripture. Now you should be having, in this moment, you should be having this huge, but I thought sort of mindset, this, this, this cartoon bubble above your head that is like, I thought the gospel says we are saved by faith. Is anybody feeling that tension? I hope you are. The gospel does say you're saved by faith. In fact, Romans opens that way. It, it's all through the book of Romans. It ends that way. And this, this, if you only read this section of the letter, it can be confusing. And, if we, and we might, if we just read this section of the letter, we might build a theology of salvation or justification uh, based on our works because it makes more sense to us. If I do good things, God will be pleased with me. If I do bad things, uh, he won't be pleased with me. It, it just makes more sense to us and our, our humanity. But uh, Paul said in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since though through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So there's no, you can't, 
You can't obey your way to heaven. You can't obey your way into good graces. You can't do enough good deeds to justify yourself before God. And here's the differentiation you need to have. Paul is not teaching, listen, Paul is not teaching how we are made right with God in this section. He's not teaching how we are made right with God. We know, he's already taught it, we know that we are made right with God, that we are justified through faith in Christ who died on a cross to save us from our sin. And it is that work and our belief in him that makes us right before God. It's, it's only that. What he is teaching instead, instead is how God judges the reality of our faith. How he judges the reality of our faith. God judges faith by the difference it makes in how a person actually lives. Do you realize this culture is very confusing? It's the one we live in. It's very confusing because anybody can say they're a Christian and it's easy relatively in this culture to say, I'm a Christian. But Does their faith change the direction of their feet, the meditation of their heart, the thought of their minds, or are they just grabbing a label, sticking it on and saying, I'm a Christian because I want to go to heaven when I die. What we're learning from this is Paul is saying to these Jewish people, like, look, you have all of the Torah, you have all of the background, you have all of the doctrine, you have everything, but but do you suppose that you're, because you have all that, do you suppose that... uh, that you, you, you are just going to get a, a pass at judgment? No, just because you have all that, it, it, it's, it, it's great access. It's a lot of light, but, and this is my third observation, it's not possession of the law, but obedience to God that matters when it comes to God judging our belief, our faith. People have a, in in that culture and in our culture, people have a a fatal tendency to substitute possession and passive agreement for action. So I'm a Christian because I have a Bible in my house. I'm a Christian because I came to church once this year or uh, Christmas. You know, we sing Christmas carols. It's got Jesus' name in there. This, our culture you know, Muslims put up Christmas trees in our culture. <laughs> it's cultural, right? So, so for the Jews, he, he's saying to them, it's not about the possession of the law. You have all of it. You have all the access, all the light, but obedience to God, that, that matters because, because the, the, the basic principle is you're not justified by the law. You're not justified by works. Jesus justifies you. He saves you. But your faith, when it comes time for that judgment, your faith is evidenced by your deeds, by your work. You can't get it backwards. If you try to work your way to faith with deeds, it doesn't, it doesn't work. But when you actually meet Jesus and you believe in him, he changes your heart and the work of your hands, the direction of your feet the words of your mouth, the meditation of your heart, all of that, it it begins to change. And people just think because they have like this passive agreement that uh, that they're safe. Romans chapter 2, 12 to 16 points this out and I'll go to it. It says, for all have sinned 
All who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law, for it is not hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but doers of the law who will be uh, justified. Continue on. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show what the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness. Their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So he's just making this case. He's just saying like, look, you Jewish hearers, just because you hear, that's not enough. Even a Gentile, Maybe they don't have access to the law, but their own heart sort of accuses them of immorality. Like they have this thing inside of them that says, this isn't right. Even though they may do it, this isn't isn't right. And it's like the law is written on their heart. So Jewish hearer or religious hearer, or I'm going to just extrapolate and say church hearer. It's not enough just to have access to the light. It's not possession of, the, of the, the law, possession of the scriptures, it's obedience. It's obedience. Here the Jews are accused of possessing the law and agreeing with it, but not walking it out. James chapter 1, 22 to 25, James said to, the, to his church, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and once forgets what, it, what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I mean, Jesus told this whole parable about a wise man who built his house on the rock, who heard the word of God. And when the storm came, his house wasn't moved because he was wise, because he heard the word and did it. But there's a foolish man who hears the word of God and doesn't do it. And he's like the man who builds his house in the bottom of a valley in the sand. So when the flash floods come, his house washes away. That's foolish. So we have to get our minds around this understanding that, it, that it's not possession of the word or access to the word. How many, I mean, you can listen to a million podcasts in your, on your phone. You have so much access to the word. You can pick your translation. You can read books upon books about every one of them. You, can, you, can, you have more access to the word of God than anybody ever has ever ha- had in all of humanity, in all of creation. And this applies deeply to us because it's not just possession of the scriptures. It's not just a passive agreement like, yeah, I, I believe that. But, it, but, but when it comes to that end times judgment, how will we know? How, what will be judged? Just because you had a cross necklace or a Jesus bumper sticker or something like that? No, like, like I don't think... I don't think Jesus is going to be like, pull out all your Jesus paraphernalia. How many times did you go to church between the, you know, I mean, have you been there, you know, at least four million times between, it's not going to be like that. 
The, the, the basic principle is that he judges our deeds. Look at the seven churches of Revelation. Every time he writes, Jesus sends letters to these seven churches in the book of Revelation, this end times sort of beginning, and each one of the church, it, it, it will say, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. You're either hot nor, nor cold. I know your deeds. You've forsaken your first love. I know your deeds. You are doing it right. See, deeds matter, and we want to erase that and say, like, this doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because I'm saved uh, through faith, and it's, an, it's a work of grace. Yes, that is how you're justified, but then the way that you know, the way that God will judge, how do you know that you've, you've been saved? It's like, what comes out of your heart? Because a uh, relationship with Jesus actually changes everything. Think about who's writing this, Paul. I talked to you about Paul the very first sermon. I said, there's about four things about Paul you should know. Number one, he's, he's Roman. He's really smart. He speaks a bunch of languages. He grew up in a, this place, Tarsus, that is uh, super Roman and known for philosophy. And he's just smart about it. He knows everything about it, too. I said, he's, he's Hebrew. His parents were Hebrew and not just any kind of Jewish people. They were very Jewish people. So they raised him differently in the midst of that Roman culture. He became passionate about the law. Three, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was discipled by Gamaliel, which is like the Rabban. All of Israel would say, this is our rabbi. He's the best. And, uh, and he was discipled by them. And then fourth, he became a Pharisee. He was persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. He was trying to snuff out the movement of Jesus and in Acts chapter 9, he's walking to the, along the road to Damascus with all his military convoy because he's going to go uh, arrest followers of the way, followers of Jesus in Damascus, and he's blinded by this light and this audible voice. And, and he says, the, the voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and Saul says, Lord, who are you? And he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. And for Paul, it changes everything. It changes everything. All these disciples, you pick one, Peter, Matthew, Philip, any of them, you pick one. When, when they saw Jesus die on the cross and raised from the dead, and when they were empowered by the Holy Spirit, it changed everything. They're not fishermen anymore. They're not accountants anymore. They're not just hanging out in one little place anymore. Now they're on mission to take the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. It changes everything. And I, and I would submit to you who say, well, those are Bible people. They're heroes. They are broken people. They are average people. Or in Paul's case, they are super smart, intellectual, religious people who had to be broken so everything could change. And that's us. That's us. And so, so when it comes down to understanding how God judges, we need to understand that that his grace to us in these moments is to lead us to repentance. Like, I don't need to spend so much time on the speck in my brother's eye. I need to repent for the log in my own. These are the words of Jesus. These are the words of Jesus. It's not about possession of the law, but obedience to God that matters. Romans chapter 3, verse 28, I'll just, I'll just read this to you. For we hold... 
that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. The reason I read that, it's coming, coming when we get to it in Romans chapter 3. The reason I read that, I do not want you to walk out of here thinking, I can be saved by doing good works of the law. You cannot. You cannot be justified. Paul didn't think you could be justified by works, but he did think that we would be judged according to our deeds because Christ changes everything in our lives. He changes everything. And we, followers of Jesus, have to be quick to repent and walk with him. We're not going to be perfect. We are going to sin. And when we sin, we repent and we come close to him. We walk with him. It's not It's not the works of the law that save us. It's Jesus that saves us. But what comes from that kind of faith? Deeds that look like Jesus' works. James chapter 2, 18 and 19. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. This is actually, I went to a a senior adult lunch after the, the message that I preached on uh, beginning of Romans, and it was that, that gospel message that, you're, you know, that Paul said, like, you're only saved by Christ. You can't do anything. And I said that over and over again. And this older gentleman came up to me and, and quoted this verse. He goes, I got one thing for you. You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And he was kind of right as he held his, like, lemon pie. <laughs> he was kind of right because he didn't have all the story. Now, again, it's not faith. It's not, it's not uh, it is faith that saves you. It's not works that save you. But a faith apart from, with no works, that's not a Jesus faith. And we're, I'm not asking you to fake it, like make some works up, do some good things. You know, that would be utterly uh, uh, awful. I'm saying what naturally flows from the heart of someone who has followed Jesus, who has, has confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, believes in their heart that God raised them from the dead, that the thing that follows and that will be judged is deeds. Jesus said at one time like this is very sort of hard, hard way, uh, y- y- you say, Lord, Lord, but I say, depart from me, you, you never knew me. It's in Matthew. You're like, God, I, what do you mean I didn't know you? He's like, well, did, did you, what about the people in prison? Did you feed the sick? Did you clothe the naked? You know, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and they're like, yeah, we cast out demons in your name. We did all these things. But yeah, but you, you didn't take care of the least of these. It's like, it's like the Jesus works come out of Jesus' people. It's like when he said in John 15, you, you need to abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. If you just hang out with me, the things that come out of you will be the Jesus things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And when, when it's something else, you, you, you repent of it. It's this, not the possession of the law or access to the light that matters, the evidence of a person's walk with Christ is actually uh, their, partly, at least, their deeds. And this is what Paul is saying. So how should you respond to this? Let me just give you a couple of ways. First, I think we as a church, we as church people, we need to repent of the kind of self-righteous judgment that condemns, especially when we dabble in the things we judge. Repent 
of the kind of self-righteous judgment that condemns, especially while we dabble in the things we judge too. Accept the fact that true faith has evidence in our deeds. Accept the fact that true faith has evidence in our deeds. We might have this as a working theology, but practically we push it away often. Accept the fact that true faith has evidence in our deeds. Faith is not an ethereal concept judged by a magic faith detector. I can see if you have faith. You can see if I have faith. Not Not to judge, to condemn, but it's just kind of obvious. Jesus stuff comes out. Because he's abiding, or she's abiding. First John chapter 5, 1 to 3, John said it this way, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. It's not what saves you, but it's evidence of who you are. Number three, last way to respond. Uh, Understand this, Romans chapter two, verse 16 says, God judges the secrets of men through Christ and women. Now that could be a horrifying statement, but this is actually a great hope to me because of the last two words, through Christ. Through Christ. There's great hope to, it's great hope to me because it's only through Christ that I'm justified. And uh, believe it or not, everybody in this room has struggled with sin, has had secrets. And it's important for us to realize that it is Jesus who died on the cross for all those sins and all those secrets for everyone who would believe. So when it says that God judges the secrets of men through Christ, if you're justified in Christ... You are forgiven and free. And Paul will camp on that in Romans chapter three. Okay. It's good news that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins. Paul said it this way one other time, Galatians chapter two, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Righteousness comes through belief in Christ. And that belief and the, and the ensuing invasion of the Holy Spirit in your life changes your works. It just does. It just changes your deeds. Your hands do different things. Your mouth says different things. Your mind thinks different things. Your feet go different places. It just changes your, uh, your deeds. Right? So, title of the message, Judgment for All. There's no partiality. But the good news is Jesus is the judge. That's the really good news. And he died on a cross to save you from your sins, and, that, and it is belief in him that gives us righteousness, right? Would you bow your head and close your eyes and just ask the Lord to speak to you any way that he chooses?
Father, I thank you for the clarity of this section of Paul's letter to the church at Rome. Forgive me as one who can easily judge to condemn. Help me to be a person who pays more attention to the log in my own eye than the speck in someone else's. Father, thank you for access to the word. Help me not to mistake it for obedience and love just because I have access, just because I know it, just because I've heard it. Help me not to mistake that for true faith. And Father, thank you for Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us, who is the only one that can make us righteous and justify us in your sight. Let him change us. Holy Spirit, like move in us, whether, whether we have become hardened and apathetic toward you or whether we just have never come to you in belief. God, I, I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would move us to the next place. Help us to accept the fact that faith is evidenced by deeds. It's just a natural outflow. Just like sin takes its course, faith also runs its course. I pray your blessing over these, these brothers and sisters, all these, these families and friends. God, I pray you bless them and keep them and make your face shine on them and be good to them and be their peace giver this day and forevermore. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.